When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. It's funny how quickly animals revert to their factory setting, as I call it, that basic live, die, or escape kind of mentality. And that's what happened. And as these things bred, the more feral, stronger of each litter was the ones who made it. The strongest survived. And these things turned into monsters. I'm talking 700 pounds easily. Has even been reports, like you said, of, of the Widowmaker, which is about 900 or so pounds. 900 pounds, that's a, that's a, that's a, big, that's a big pig. And large tusks, you know, they started growing the tusks again, almost became like razorbacks. And there were reports of running into... I'm not talking about those little, I'm talking those big honking ones you see, you know, on a big farm. Knocking hoes, knocking the rivets out of the metal, getting in there and getting and eating their fill. Did you know you can now stream episodes of this podcast on your mobile device? All you need is my new Conspiracy Unlimited app. It's absolutely free and it's available for both iOS and Android devices. If you're a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member, pay attention. You can now stream premium content from your mobile device. My free Conspiracy Unlimited app for iOS and Android. Available from the App Store and Google Play. Get yours today and start streaming Conspiracy Unlimited on your mobile device. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Folklorist Steve Asher is here to share some of his wonderful collection of stories. High Strangeness from Kentucky is where we're headed. That's not the name of the book, incidentally. That's kind of Steve Asher's beat, High Strangeness from his home state, the Bluegrass State. And Kentucky happens to be one of my favorite states. 
I love Tennessee. I love Virginia, West Virginia. I guess you would call that all Appalachia. I'm not sure if North Carolina is considered Appalachia. Steve will know. I'll get in here in a moment. But so many strange stories come out of this area. The Mothman from West Virginia, the movie The Mothman Prophecies, will be familiar to most of you. Bigfoot sightings, of course, UFOs, stories of little people, some great haunted locations there. In fact, Steve has written about some of these, the Kentucky State Penitentiary, the Western Lunatic Asylum, the St. Vincent Academy. That's his uh, Haunted Kentucky series of three books. So we'll find out why is it that Kentucky and Appalachia seem to be home to so much high strangeness. What is it about this part of the country? Stephen E. Asher is a native of Princeton, Kentucky. He's also a published author with multiple books to his credit. He's an artist, a podcast host, a musician. He's a fan of horror and paranormal subjects. And previously, Steve worked over 10 years in law enforcement and as a correction, a correctional officer. He's a longtime researcher of the strange and the unusual. He's traveled worldwide in a pursuit to learn the legends of folklore and from other cultures. He's an avid lover of the nighttime. He's, he always says that this is the time when he feels most truly alive in the darkness and therefore most productive in his paranormal research and writing. Steve, great to have you back on the program. How are you, my friend? Well, Richard, uh, always an honor to be here. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. What is a folklorist, actually? What's, what is it that a folklorist does? Well, it touches on a whole lot of different uh, sciences, but uh, more or less, it's, you've got to have somebody that's curious about things. Uh, they love getting into those little quirky, uh, you know, like, again, legends and all that stuff that ties in with the... The old, a lot of times it's the old ways. A lot of these are really old legends, and you just you develop a love for them. If you grew up, like you said, in Appalachian area, or you don't have to be Appalachian, but it helps. But if you love sitting at your uh, uncle's or grand, grandma's feet, listening to stories from back in the back in the day, and sometimes they would turn kind of scary. Um, folklore may be for you. It's just one of those things because a lot of times there's a kernel of truth in those type of things. It's different from urban legends uh, because a lot of times it was connected to an actual event. You know, sometimes urban legends could just be, you know, kind of creepypasta stuff. But more often than not, folklore tied into history. I'm, I'm a big history buff. I love it. And it sort of gives you kind of a different, different take on history. It's not always the history that you get in the history books. Sometimes it's from the voice of the other side or from another another take on it. So it's, an, it's sort of an interesting way to be well-rounded. If you, again, if you love hearing stories, especially you're into the oral tradition or love to read. And, and you and I have talked about this before, but let me just get your take on it one more time. And that is why, and I mentioned this in the introduction, Appalachia seems to be so f- fertile for not only this folklore, but also, um, you know, sightings of, um, uh, Bigfoot and, and UFOs and uh, dogmen and different cryptids, but also haunted locations. And you've covered those off with uh, St. Vincent Academy and the Western Lunatic Asylum and the Kentucky State Penitentiary. Why Appalachia and Kentucky specifically? Part of it is 
for me, it's common knowledge. It's just like if, you know, you live, you know, in the middle of New York, you would know where the best sub place is or the best pizza place is. We know legends and hollows that are supposedly haunted and, and different weird things. And it's just what it is. People think of places like the rainforest or places like that where very few people have ever been in. Appalachia is very much like it. It's almost impossible to get to certain regions up there. And uh, that causes a whole lot of uh, problems, but it also causes a certain type of culture. And this culture comes from all the different, you know, the Welsh and the English and the Irish and all those wonderful uh, brands of storytelling that came with these guys and, and a lot of their, uh, their own mythologies and, and superstitions and practices. It very much is sort of a looking to the looking glass into sort of another time in a way where people didn't communicate in tweets and, you know, my people will call your people. It was very personal. And for me, it's very, very heartfelt because, again, you know, that's where my family comes from when they settled in this region. So it's always had a very special place for me, but it is a very mysterious place. There's a lot of places, um, you know, you think of Washington State. You think of, well, Bigfoot and things like that. You think West Virginia, Mothman, stuff like that. And we have that here as well. You know, uh, not counting, like as we mentioned before on, on some other shows, giant skeletons, you know, things like that. Um, you know, all kinds of different cryptids, all kinds of different uh, ancient drawings and glyphs that were found in caves that may point to a previous civilization living here. And most people think of Kentucky for horse racing or maybe really good bourbon. And, and like I'd said in, on the back of my Curious Counties for Kentucky, dang strange and mostly true tales, if you think that Kentucky is only horse racing and good bourbon, if so, boy, were you wrong. I mean, there's so much more to it. And, and that's what I love about it. I love stories from everywhere, but I love to showcase stories from my home. Well, you mentioned the title, Curious Counties from Kentucky, Dang, Strange, and Mostly True Tales. I love that word, dang. Now, it's interesting the way you've put this book together because you've listed, I think, every single county in Kentucky or nearly all of them. Every one of them seems to have one of these dang, strange, and mostly true tales. You've done it alphabetically, right? That's correct. Yeah, I'm almost done and ready to publish a follow-up because it's in two volumes. Uh, there was there's 120 counties. I did 60 counties in each. And, yeah, that, that one's almost ready to go. But, yeah, it is all alphabetical. And it does seem, even if... It's a relatively small county. Maybe not a whole lot's happened in it regards of it's fairly rural, hard to access. There's some strange story. You know, every little county, anywhere you have people, you're going to have a weird story. Or at least a weird legend about a location. You know, Crybaby Bridge, things like that. And that's why I said, dang strange and mostly true tales. Because some of these I can't verify. Some of these are, again, oral tradition. It, nothing, none of, this was written down. And... You take it as what it is, a good story, hopefully a great story, and have some fun with it. All right, so in no particular order, we're not going to do it alphabetically, but Knott County, Kentucky, N-O-T-T, Knott County, Kentucky. There's a highway there, Highway 55. It's just out of, uh, is it Hindman or Hindman? Hindman, uh, Highway 50. Oh, Highway 50. And there is a, um, a famous restaurant there called the Blue Moon Restaurant. Tell me about the Blue Moon Restaurant. Right. Well, again, uh, Knott County was formed around 1884, and it's a pretty small population, about 17,000. And uh, it, it's one of about 30 different un- uh, unincorporated towns in that area is, is just outside of uh, Hinman. 
so anyway, you come out this road, and the Blue Moon Restaurant, most people would know it from, it was kind of a speakeasy. They would make bathroom, you know, wash tub gin and whiskey, and it was one of those deals where, you know, illegal hooch or prostitution and kind of like a, you know, saloon. Think of like a, a, a frontier town saloon because people have to remember before we had the old west, we had the old <laughs> partially east, partially middle middle of the country, and it just pushed out that way. So we had all that stuff right here before it moved out west. And, uh, again, it was very famous for kind of nefarious activities. Well, one of the people who lived there was a mother of a guy we've you've actually had a really interesting shows on about Charles Manson. And him and his mother lived on the second floor there and his mother was a prostitute and she would do what she had to do. And unfortunately she would have the little boy sat down on the stoop. I mean, all hours of the night. And if he tried to get in cause he was cold or something, apparently she would beat him or the guys would beat him. And it kind of goes to explain a little bit about how this guy became who he became. And obviously, you know, his, his crimes and things that happened in California, you, you can't, fully blame that because there's people that's come through darkness and, and went another way. But it's Correct. just interesting how the, the webs of uh, all these different events connect to make that future monster. So right. I, I thought it was right. a very interesting place. Right. Now, is that is the Blue Moon restaurant, is it still there? Do we know the, its exact location on Highway 50? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure if it's still standing uh, I guarantee you could probably speak to somebody at the uh, at the county courthouse or something like that, and they could let you know a if it's standing or where the structure was. Uh, they might even have it. Might even, may even be a, a historical monument with it being a speakeasy. Uh, I don't think they would have had anything about Manson there. I don't think, but I'm sure somebody with an interest in Manson has probably made a pilgrimage there, like a you know, like you see people go to the Gacy House and different scenes of uh, horrendous humanity, but. Right. Uh, the exact location, I'm not 100% sure, other than it was on Highway 55, just outside of Hinman. Right, and so he spent his his formative years, I guess you could say, in this little place in Kentucky. How do the, the people of Knott County, Kentucky, sort of view that little bit of, well, it's not folklore, It's it, 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 we know it happened. I mean, yeah, are they... Exactly. Are they hesitant to talk about it? They don't want to make that connection between Knott County and Charlie Manson, understandably? Any city official is going to try to put the, the brightest and most positive face forward on any situation. And I get that. Uh, your selling point isn't want to be, you know, hey, this is where you know a famous uh, person connected to mass murderers were. Um, if you dig and... In, in, get to know the people well enough, they'll open up and talk about it. It's sort of like uh, like the one story we talked about, the Kentucky meat rain. Most people half the time don't know about because they don't teach it in school there. It was a really weird thing, and they prefer not to celebrate that. You know, these are ch- church-going folks, and they're trying to put a positive foot forward. And, and that's just, you know, like I've always heard, if I had a quarter for every time I heard this in my research, well, that's just sort of not the sort of thing that we, we like to talk about. But I've found from just readership, people love to read about it because, you know, they can kind of visit this in, in an educational way, not so titillating or sensationalist, but in a way that is brought to you in a clean family-based way 
but it tells you about some really interesting stuff. And it's not all horror story stuff in these counties, but there is a certain interest in this sort of thing, especially when you see this young, fragile kid, at-risk kid, that there was really no infrastructure to care for these type of kids, especially back in the, like the 30s, 30s, 40s, right? So, because he was already, well, I believe in his 30s by the time he met these girls in the 60s. I mean, he'd already been in right. and out, of, out of institutions his whole life. And, right, uh, right. So, so, yeah, it's kind of crazy, which, of course, then that ties all into his experimentation with supposed, supposed uh, Manchurian candidate stuff, which we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. But you know what I mean? Sure, it, it, sure. It's interesting to right. see what came before. Well, another era, and had he been in another location in Kentucky, he may have well ended up at the St. Vincent Academy, right? Honestly, he very well may. Or you know what? If he had got the proper, the proper care, uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, he may have ended up at the Western Lunatic Asylum, or he may have ended up becoming clergyman. He, he, he was a very good orator, and um, he could have possibly went on to become a priest or something. Who knows? Right. So uh, take us down to Kenton County, Kentucky. Um, right here that uh, on 22nd Wright Street, uh, there is uh, a bunch of row housing. And you can find these all across the globe, of course. We're all familiar with row housing. But only a handful have an unusual flying saucer design such as this one. What's going on in uh, Kenton County, Kentucky? Well, and it's so odd because, like you said, it, it's sort of just, very out of place because, like you said, it, it was most of this stuff was built in the time of the old cookie cutter right after World War II, the GI Bill. Everybody gets a house, you know. It was back in those days, but uh, Futuro homes, uh, you will see these all over the globe, and some of them are fairly simple. Some are pretty uh, futuristic, like what people in the fifties and the forties thought today would be like, and uh, that particular one looks just like a spaceship. It looks like something you would see on a, on a set of a, of a B, a B movie, uh, a sci-fi movie. And it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's, see, I believe it came out because the man had it shipped there, I think in 1973. And, uh, I think by the time, uh, I think it was by the time it was 1976, it was finally set up and everything. And it stayed there. And it's actually funny because it actually has a, uh, on the hatchway, a sticker saying "Beam me up, Scotty" on it. So they definitely went with the sort of positive, hopeful vibe of the '60s. You know that Star Trek very much captured, even if they took on darker subjects. But yeah, it's, it's really very an interesting place. I think it would be neat to own that. You know, if I was ever to move up in that area, I'd definitely be looking to see if that property was available. Uh, it's just to me, it's just a really interesting story. It's nothing nefarious or dark about it. It's just, again, who would have thought that would have been in the middle of Kentucky somewhere? So I thought it was kind of a neat story. Have you been inside the uh, the row housing spaceship? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, I've seen tons of pictures and stuff. They're very, very quirky with who goes in there because they don't want it messed with or made fun of or defaced. So they, they keep it pretty, pretty tight, you know. So it's one of those deals, again, you kind of protect what you love. You don't want people to make fun of it and are just, you know to face it but i would definitely would yeah i'd love to tour it uh we just have a couple of minutes here we can start talking about this and if we run if we run into the break we'll continue after but uh jessamine county kentucky we often hear about ghostly lights um tell me about 
this spot. Uh, I guess it's near Lexington, uh, Kentucky. And um, there's some uh, location there known as the North Tower. It's been the site of many suicides and accidental falls and ghostly lights. Right. Well, this location is in the Lexington metropolitan area. There's about 50,000 people uh, currently that live there. It's it's about 451 square uh, kilometers. Uh, It's it's a good-sized area. And, again, most people think of it for its horse breeding and its connection with that type of trade. There was a lot of stuff there, like the Camp Nelson Heritage National Monument, which is a great big uh, Civil War-era site and things like that. There's Veterans Park, uh, the Jessamine Creek Gorge, and the uh, Waveland State Historic Sites. So there's a lot of different stuff going on there. But there's a place um, known as North Tower, and it has a very high bridge. It was built in, I think, 1888, and it's about 300 foot tall. Uh, It's a train bridge, and and it spans across the Palisades. And it is a national landmark, but it has been the site of a lot of deaths from falls and it is unclear if these are accidents or suicides but people do report a lot of fleeting shadows along the tracks and lights that disappear off like off into the off the edge and like say into the into the darkness at night it's usually nighttime when these are seen and some people say well perhaps it's a train or something like that but it's it, it just isn't you know it's got something totally else something totally going on that is just really wonky and to me it's super super interesting hey there i'm hard at work on another edition of inner sanctum my free monthly newsletter inner sanctum features my monthly brief a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click Click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. All right, we are back with folklorist and curator of high strangeness, Steve E. Asher. You know, you mentioned bourbon and and, uh, the horse trade. Of course, Kentucky's certainly known for that. But you're also known as having incredible cave systems throughout Kentucky. And let me ask you, before we get into some of these stories revolving around caves... Tell me about your uh, interest in caves. Well, it's sort of that thing where you really love the idea of it and want to see all these interesting things under there, but I'm also claustrophobic. So it sort of runs that for me. Um, I went into some relatively open cave systems, into some, you know, uh, maintained 
uh, type of situations, you know, where, you know, for, for visit, people to visit, you know, as part of tourism. But as of just cutting out and going into a cave, no, this, no I know too many weird things that's down there. And not, not to just mentioning snakes and things like that. Well, I don't know that um, you and I have talked about this, I think, maybe on my podcast. And I don't know that it's in the list of the stories you sent me tonight. But I think you have a, a, some cousins or something that went spelunking and they they came across, uh, um, was it a burial site or something? Do you remember the story? I do. I believe that was Nightmares from the Bone Cave. Um, right. I believe right. that was the name of that. And that actually, yes, that, that was some family, and that was, man, that was such a messed up, uh, messed up story. This this guy would go into cave systems, you know, and sometimes you find a, arrowheads or bits of pottery and things like that. And it wasn't anything nefarious. It's just sometimes you find something kind of neat, and that's where it kind of went wrong. I think it was actually chapter six. Was the uh, was the chapter from that, and the the young guy went in there and he was messing around and finding this and that. And like you mentioned, we do have a very large karst system, and uh, karst system more or less means we're living on Swiss cheese. That's why we have tons of sinkholes and things like that around here. A uh, fair amount of flooding because after a while, when it rains real hard here, like it has tonight, there's a lot of flood roads that are flooded out in this area. Because the caves fill up and there's nowhere to go. So, but yes, was looking around and had found some interesting things in the back of a cave. Uh, well, there's areas under Big Springs, Kentucky. It's not a secret, so I can tell you. In the heart of Princeton. And you can used to be able to get up under it. It's filled with silt a little bit. But before that, you could kind of dig out and get down there. And you'd find just interesting stuff. You might find old bottles from the old bottling company. You might find an old... Uh, Service revolver, no Civil War revolver, just, you know, may not be in good shape, but it's just an interesting thing to find. Bits of spar, whatnot. Anyway, but he was digging around back in this area and found this area where the wall wasn't granite or limestone. It almost was, looked like red mud. It was really weird. Um, and he'd felt something poking out of it, and he thought, well, maybe that's a bullet or it's a, you know, something kind of interesting. Well, he got that, and he ended up crawling back out because it started raining. And he don't want to, you don't want to get caught in the caves when it rains. So he got on out. Well, he uh, took this thing home. It was kind of encrusted and had the most horrible nightmares, just horrible nightmares. And it, it was real disjointed, very smoky. He wasn't sure if something was on fire or what, but it was almost like you were, had a fire going in a cave, which, of course, is going to illuminate everything and have flickering shadows everywhere. It was very, very disorienting. Well... This went on for a night or two. He didn't think much about it because he had to work some doubles and whatnot. Well, he ended up coming home, taking a look at this thing, and he said, I don't know what to do. So he went and spoke to a brother of mine, and he said, uh, I don't know what to do. He said, well, what's going on? Before he ever t- showed him what he had, he told him the situation and told him the story. He said, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a, what it is. It's not a bullet. I don't know if it's some sort of bone tool or something like that or if it's a what you know which he looked at it and he said i think it's i think you've got a piece of human finger that looks like a kid's finger a finger bone a a finger finger bone bone, a child's finger bone and he's like i don't don't know what to do and he's like you need to put it back you know if it was me i'd put it back 
say I'm sorry and get out. Try to re reintern it. So, because it's like, you know, do I go speak to a tribal person? And then, of course, he was scared to get in trouble. Anyway, long story short, he got back up in there. He, it was after the rains. Things were still fairly slick, but he just got back to that spot. And he's trying to kind of get it pushed back into the, into what apparently was clay, uh, a piece of clay. But when he pushed, it went on down. He, it fell forward. He didn't expect it to do that. He rolled down into, you know, these limbs and whatnot. I guess figured it was like a, some sort of animal cave, fox cave, something. Well, his lamp had went off in, in the fall, so he finally had gotten it and was trying to get himself put back. He put it, he said, I'm sorry, and this and that. He's moving back forward. And for whatever reason, he turned around. He'd got his helmet light back on, looked back, and he said there were just, it was a lot of dust in the air, but he could see because he'd crowed through and crushed a bunch of stuff. He said there were like hundreds of bones, like human bones. He said it appeared to be human bones. So apparently he pushed stuff back over the back as best he could, and he got out of there. Uh, I've never learned the location. I don't want to go to it, but that was right here in, uh, in Princeton. That's actually from Short Stories for Darker Nights, the, the other book that I had put out just recently. And right, um, right. that that was really sobering. I don't know what happened. I don't know if that was a mass burial place that was that the natives put there. I don't know if something really hard, horrible happened and they were put there to, to be hidden. I, I, I don't know. So you mentioned when he brought that artifact, which turned out to be a, a human finger bone home, he started experiencing some kind of paranormal activity? I would have to say it's it. Yeah, I mean, because he was hearing, you know, sounds and like stuff beating. I'm not going to say there were drums beating. I'm, I'm, you know, but that's his interpretation. That's what he made it made of it. Um, I didn't. I didn't really laugh out laugh about it when I heard it. I didn't hear about it for a while because uh, it was told to my brother. And years later, you know, he was talking about. I was talking about the cave systems, writing about the caves. And I said, he said, did I ever tell you what? Well, I almost said his name. Let's just say uh, Gator. Hey, did I tell you what Gator said about? Those caves are there. I'm like, no. And he told me the story. I'm like, geez. I said, did he ever go back? He says, no, no, no. Actually, he quit. He quit caving after that. He quit caving as a result. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Really strange. Uh, but what? Well, you know, I hear a lot of um, of stories, paranormal stories, hauntings, uh, the the sudden appearance of strange uh, or cryptids. And often it seems to be in connection with the disturbance of an Indian burial mound. So what's happening there, do you suppose? In, well, in that particular situation, are you mean just uh, statewide? Because we have tons and tons of mounds and a lot of different things that are found there. Uh, sometimes it, it adds up to what you would think. Um, you know, if you go further back, of course, you're going to certain bones will be like the body we broke down and the bones will be coated in red ochre and put in the ground, I guess, as sort of a ceremonial thing. But, again, when you have things like that, that, that doesn't really buy because it's not in a mound. So, right, right. But just the idea, I, I mean, these, these burial mounds, uh, they're not supposed to be disturbed. Sometimes they are intentionally disturbed, which is not a good thing. Other times they are 
let's say someone is not aware of what it is, uh, maybe their uh, their backhoe or their tractor, their farming, they disturb right. the mound, and then all of a sudden, there's I don't know if there's a connection, but there seems to be paranormal activity or or sightings of strange uh, creatures. So, what what do you imagine might be at work there? Is there some sort of a a spirit that's protecting these mounds. Um, what what might be happening here? Well, I mean, if, if you're familiar with animism and, and the concept that you know everything—the wind, the water, everything—has a spirit. As close as the natives were with uh, trying to live in harmony with, with nature, I would think that would probably build a very strong rapport and, and a very strong uh, memory. With the locations, it's just like anything you put a lot of time into. Say you went to your grandparents' house, or even after they were gone, you would still feel their presence there at certain certain times, uh, or you could. But, and I do think the fact that it is a thing of reverence and it is a thing of not just not just reverence, but preparation uh, for maybe what comes next and or whatever. It's just a thing, like if when just when the say like the pyramids were ransacked, you know, there's there's a stories of curses and whatnot. I do think that there's definitely a presence that lingers in places people in turn they're dead, especially if they go to a, a very big ceremonial aspect of it, because I think you give a, give off a certain part of your your heart, just like when you lose somebody. There's that element of you know I lost a bit of my heart today. I think that's real. I think that's 100% real. And I could see there be some sort of a, some sort of debt you had to pay for that. Before we get back into some of these stories, I'm trying to imagine the, the types of stories that you tell around your house, Steve. Do your children, do they want to hear these as bedtime stories, these strange tales? Or do you tell them, you know, the typical bedtime stories that the children listen to? Well, most of my, uh, most of my little ones aren't so little anymore. My, my, uh, Youngest boy Ivan, he's he's just turning, uh, just turned fifteen, so he's they're sort of out of that. But now the grandkids, you know, that's that's another story. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of do a Disney version of some of this. I mean, uh, of course, the old stories of giants and things like that that, that lived in the area and things like that. Uh, they all know about. They heard stories of Bigfoot and whatnot. So we touch on that. I, I don't get too much into the grizzly stuff with them. You know, I, I don't get too ready for that yet. But yeah, yeah, we touch on some of this. For sure. All right. So I want to talk about um, uh, Henderson County because uh, this one is a little uh, a little more on the uh, the darker side, shall we say? Tell me about is it is the town actually called Falling? Falling uh, is that the name of the town? Well, there, there's Henderson County, and uh, the I believe the name of the little town. Well, there there is Henderson, uh, and then there's also the uh, the neighboring uh, state of Indiana, which is Evansville, Indiana. So that's very close to that. Uh, I believe that is right. Uh, if you because if you'd come through that area uh, around that time, and you, like you said it was 1901, so this is quite a while away. We still remember here anyway. Um, if you talk to anybody, especially from this part of Kentucky or probably from the South, the Great Ice Storm. Of 2009, everyone's still scared to death of that, and I never really understood it because I remember my grandparents and them talking about a long time ago another really really bad storm, 
and they were talking about the Great Sleet and what had happened. Basically, it started started sleeting, and it fell for two weeks straight. I'm talking day and night. Wow. Relentless. And that in itself is not a good thing, but imagine way back then, travel came to a standstill. Work can come to a standstill. You couldn't get out to really get food. You couldn't get out to hunt. You couldn't cut down. You couldn't cut wood to burn it. There's like, you know, two or three inches of ice on everything. Everything was frozen, and it was bad. You know, what, what lines were up, you know, communications, telegraphs, or whatnot, gone. Uh, it was just really bad, and it actually got to the point where, as I understand, several people will start. You know, it's, and it's just it's a good reminder, A, that we've got it pretty good. And secondly, how quickly nature can turn on you because nature isn't your friend, yet you need to respect nature and appreciate it and work with its cycles. But no, Mother Nature can go any way she wants. And um, to be prepared. It's always good to be prepared. I don't, I'm not necessarily a prepper, but, you know, I've, I've got, I can show you in my kitchen right now, I've got, you know, mason jars, I've done canning and whatnot and preserved that. Right. And things. But uh, weather, I mean, weather can be strange. And you've talked about it, you know, uh, we've talked about weather before, but, but for it to sleet day and night for two weeks straight, I mean, that sounds almost biblical. I mean, as you point out, these frozen trees were, were crashing down on the houses, destroying houses. People were stuck in their homes. People were starving to death as a result of these two weeks of, of sleet in Henderson County. Let's talk a little bit about black magic. And uh, this is in Harrison County, Kentucky, the small community of Leesburg. And uh, going back to 1841, and a 13-year-old uh, girl by the name of Penelope Stout. Tell me about her and uh, what happened in Harrison County. Well, you know, like you said, you're talking about the aspect of witchcraft and the fact that for a lot of people, it's so far away. And it's such a thing of, um, it's almost laughable to, to think about witch trials and and accusations of the occult and whatnot and, you know, dark magics and things. But, or people just think, oh, well, that was back in Salem, or that was... No, no, it it happened here, too. Like like I try to, you know, as I've said in this book, a lot of stuff that has happened, good and bad, has happened here, too, because there's this... People are fallible, and people can get mob mentalities, and they can react to something new out of fear or out of curiosity or out of concern. And unfortunately, uh, there's always going to be a handful of people in the peanut gallery that want to shout accusations and speak of what they do not know. And this is the unfortunate thing that happened to Miss Penelope. Uh, by the time she was 13, um, she started growing like real thick bristled hair out of her, one of her thumbs almost like um, quills, right? And after a while, these fell out, and it grew almost like a, a pretty silky type hair. It was about, I think, about six inches long. And I, it didn't really serve a purpose or anything like that, but, you know, they would shave it, get rid of it, whatever, boom, it would come right back every so often. And this continued on for a while. Well, of course, again, the neighbors are starting to go, 
well, you know, we didn't really have a good crop this year. You know, some of our some of our calves died or something like that. Well, maybe maybe it's that Penelope girl. Maybe she's bewitched them. Maybe that you know all that stuff. And before long, it starts gathering speed. And so the father, who was you know a, a pretty well known, respected gentleman, had to get other higher ups in the community to go look. They know this girl is a good girl. She has, uh, you know, very chaste and, and of, of good moral fiber to more or less keep this girl from the chance of going into a witch trial because it was going that way. And apparently this is a thing that continued on uh, throughout her life. She did get to marry. She ended up marrying a, a man, I believe his name was Amos, who said, well, you know, we all have our quirks and this happens to be yours. And, and she actually had two children. And she died on the, I believe it was before the second birthday of the second child. And so she has descendants there now. I was not able to, to find those descendants, but that I had learned about this through some locals of the story. And, um, but apparently none of the children were afflicted with this particular ailment. So whatever it was, died with her. But it shows you just how quickly in, that people can turn on each other in tense situations and why we need to really look at that and, and try to think a little bit, be a little bit more forward thinking. It, it is kind of scary to think that as late as the, the mid 19th century, uh, there were, well, it didn't go to a witch trial, but it, it could have very well have gone to a witch trial in 18, in the 1840s, just because of an errant growing hair out of her thumb, a coarse black hair growing out of her thumb. They were ready to uh, try her as a witch. Uh, I want to ask you about um, Hickman County and uh, these giant hogs uh, there. One one that that uh, earned the nickname the Widowmaker. Tell me about these hogs. Hogs from well, hell. Basically, hogs from hell. You're absolutely right. Um, this uh, this actually was like the the seventy first county formed here, and it was actually in eighteen twenty one. The uh, it, it was right next to the Mississippi River, so there was a lot of lot of people coming up through everything, up through the Revolutionary War, Civil War battles, all this stuff. Uh, There's a lot of marshy swampland in that area, and the floods were there, very commonplace, and it was sort of like a land off to its own. Um, there's a little spot called Beulah Bottoms, and this is a very murky kind of area, a lot of snakes, biting bugs, you know, creaking toads, all that stuff, all the stuff you think kind of goes with it. Well, some of the things that happen, as you know, uh, people come to the New World, as it's called, even though it was already an old world, but okay, Eurocentric, whatever. So they would bring stuff to the New World, and maybe it's whatever, hogs or certain type of horses and peacocks, different different things from different whatevers. Uh, A lot of these were livestock creatures, and uh, if you've ever dealt with pigs, they're actually very, very bright creatures, and they can get out. They get out of fencing like Houdini. So every so often, you'll have some run, get out. Well, apparently, a male and a female got out, and so nature took its course, and so these hogs are starting to be born in the wild. Uh, it's funny how quickly animals revert to their their, their factory setting, as I call it. 
that basic live, you know, live, die, or escape kind of, in, you know, kind of mentality. And that's what happened. And as these things bred, the more feral, stronger of each litter was the ones who made it. The strongest survived. And these things turned into monsters. I'm talking 700 pounds easily. It has even been reports, like you said, of, of the Widowmaker, uh, which was about 900 or so pounds. This wow, not, 900 pounds. Uh, 900 pounds. That's a, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big pig. And large tusks, you know, they started growing their tusks again, almost became like razorbacks. And these would not just go into farm areas and, and, and eat whatever domesticated animal stuff. There were reports of running into silos. I'm not talking about those little I'm talking those big honking ones you see, you know, on a big farm. Knocking hose, knocking the rivets out of the uh, out of the metal, getting in there and getting and eating their fill. This is it's like a rhinoceros, you know. And uh, they've been trying to hunt these things down. It's, it's really is a, it really is an epidemic. It's really gone to the point where it's so invasive that it's you know killing out a lot of the native native animals, destroying farmlands, destroying you know areas where other animals are eating. And it, it really became a blight on the on the on the area, and so they have a lot. You know, they have hunts to try to to uh, call them because otherwise they would be everywhere. I mean, it got to the point. But this where they one is were, this one is called the Widowmaker. Did it kill anybody? The name implies yeah. that it did. Well, I understand it. Uh, definitely, people have received a life uh, life threatening wounds, and as I understand, a few people have died from it. It's uh, kind of like the big grandpa of it. I, don't, I have no idea how old it is. I really don't know how old hogs can live and be, you know, uh, virile and, and breed and do all that. But this this thing's a good lord. It's a monster. And like you said, people still are aware of it. You know, even when they get this down, they know how quickly, you know, these can can rebreed in a handful of seasons. And you've got fresh fresh bucks, or, or what do you want to call them? I'm not sure you did the big. The big male hogs. A boar. Uh, the boar and the, uh, yeah. Thank you. Boar and the sour, right. right. Right, right. So these monster boars, in which the, the females are wild, too. They're, they're, and gosh, forget, forbid you get near their, their piglets. You know, well, never get between a mom Well, be forewarned. If, you ever, if you're ever down in Hickman County, Kentucky, you, you best, um, you know, make sure you're looking over your shoulder lest you be... Uh, uh, attacked by one of these 900-pound hogs. Um, we're just about out of time, but just give us a taste of this uh, this uh, lake creature down in Garrett County, Kentucky, the the home of the uh, the very famous novel Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah, you know that's a really oddball story because when I had initially kind of heard about it, I'm like, is it an urban legend? Is it you know what what's the story with this? But apparently, it's the creature is described. It's, it's more. I don't want to say it's a river snake, but because it has sort of a lamprey aspects to it, to, 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 the, to the way it's it's built, but it moves like a snake. Apparently, it's well over twenty foot long, uh, which is terrifying enough. You know, python, anaconda could be like that. Well, only thing is, this thing supposedly has mammalian features. It has almost like a uh, primate or, or basic or like an early human face, almost chronicle magnon, distorted but looks like, have you ever seen the fish? It looks like they have teeth. 
You know how weird that is? I don't know if oh, you've yes. seen that. Google that. That's that's a nightmare. But this <laughs> thing will it's eating everything up. It's eating up all not just fish. It will jump out of the water and grab waterfowl. We'll grab ducks. We'll grab whatever gets close to the water. Um, to the point where there are certain times of year, apparently they don't even let people go there to fish or nothing like that. Wow. And, Siva, uh, well, I've got to run here, but I, I, despite all of these scary stories, I still love Kentucky. It's not going to scare me away. Uh, people can get curious counties from Kentucky, dang, strange, and mostly true tales at Amazon. And uh, also we should point out the website, Steve E. Asher. Dot com. Steve, then the initial E, Asher, A-S-H-E-R.com. Always a pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. God bless and best to your family. Thanks for having me on. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 